When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The names behind the numbers. The stories behind the names. This is the Her Hoop Stats Podcast with John Little. We're national champions, and that was the best feeling ever. That that was a dream come true. But at the same time, I didn't know what my future was going to be. I didn't know if I was going to have to redshirt my next year and wait to play or if I was going to be back on the court for this next year. So, like I said, it was just a huge relief when I got that news. The biggest newsmakers, the best storytellers, the Her Hoop Stats podcast. Here's your host, John Little. It has been far too long, my friends. Welcome into the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I am John Little. It seems like it's been forever. Happy September. And only because we put out the Kurt Miller episode a little bit early, and this one's coming one day late after Labor Day. I digress, but I missed you. I hope you missed us as well. Great to have you with us on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. I am your host, John Little. I am a sports broadcaster and a news broadcaster out of the Dallas area, specializing play-by-play. I've also got a show on News Radio 1080 KRLD, 3 to 7 every weekday with my partner in crime, Susie Solis. So if you're in the Dallas area, I hope you check us out for sure. Well, we've got a fun show coming up for you. We're going to talk young players. We're going to talk to Lauren Cox, the outstanding power forward from the national champion Baylor Lady Bears. They are preparing for a title defense. We'll get thoughts from Lauren on not only that, but also how she thrives with type 1 diabetes. We'll talk about prospects for the season, what it's like playing for Kim Mulkey. So much coming up on that conversation. I really feel blessed to have gotten the chance to chat with her. And then coming up a little bit later on in the show, I almost never give my opinion on anything. But I felt a little bit spurred on just because everybody else is giving their opinion on the rookie of the year race. 
in the WNBA. Lena Deladon has sewed up the MVP, I think we can all say, right? It's now everybody's fighting between who's the number two there. But there is a real question mark as to who the WNBA Rookie of the Year is going to be. And so I will tell you coming up after the Lauren Cox interview and give you my two cents on that as well. So plenty coming up in this fun show for you here on the Her Hoop Stats podcast. And let's start it off by talking to a player that might end up being the Rookie of the Year next year in the WNBA. Lauren Cox was the number one player coming out of Flower Mound High School a few years ago, chose Baylor, and slowly over time has grown her game. She's been the back-to-back defensive player of the year in the Big 12 and she continues to add to her offensive game as well. Uh, she has a chance to have a marvelous senior season, and she's got a unique uh, and tough challenge as she tries to lead the Baylor Lady Bears to back-to-back championships in the NCAA. So enjoy our chat with Lauren Cox. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, and uh, so excited to see you in your senior year. What's the feeling like after a national championship and after so much success last year, as you go into your senior season, you strive so much as a team to win that national championship. Now you've won it. What is there left to do? I mean, win another one. That's the plan for this next year. And that's what we've been working for this whole summer, just trying to get the new ones um, acclimated with our team, trying to get the team to gel again and get back on that same mindset that we were on last year. Outstanding. Can you compare off seasons, like when you're striving toward that goal and you guys have had some disappointing results in the NCAA tournament, you know you're capable but just have come up a little bit short. Is there a different feeling this summer coming off of a national championship or how fast does that kind of wear off? I think the feeling of excitement is always going to kind of be there and it's been here this whole summer it's kind of one of those things that doesn't really seem real and uh, it's it's like a dream come true and then it's kind of a quick turnaround with summer workouts and we just have to work on getting everybody back on track and um, I think last year our Italy trip we went on really helped us to try to um, get everyone on the same page get everyone just gelling but um, I think this year, the new ones that we have coming in, they've they've really come in and just got along with the team. And um, it, it doesn't seem like they're new. It just it seems like they've been here for a while, been with the team for a while. Is it difficult for a team to embrace, maybe sometimes, or have you heard of a situation? Because obviously you guys em- embraced uh, Chloe to a huge uh, degree of success last year, but to in- embrace those graduate transfers sometimes for a team or what's the best way to do that when they're established players in the NCAA um, but yet they're coming into a, a new environment what's the best way as a team to make them feel comfortable I think it starts off the court and I think that's why we had so much so much success last year is because we got along so well off the court and it just translated onto the court so this summer we've just been trying to hang out with each other get to know each other and um the two two grad transfers and then our freshmen that came in they've they've really got a got along well with us outstanding we're visiting with uh, lauren cox and, and of course everybody held their breath uh when you went down in the third quarter of the national championship game there have been some just great articles uh written espn had one very very recently that i'll certainly put up a, a link 
in this in the show notes of this one so everybody can get some of your comments there. It sounds like that when it initially happened, you were kind of fearing the worst, right? Yeah, I think everyone was just because of how gruesome it looked. Um, I, I have the video, I've rewatched it a couple of times and it just looked so bad and the pain was so bad that I just, I just thought the worst. And, um, I went down and I just kind of thought like, no, no, why is this happening to me? That kind of thing. And then it was just a huge sigh of relief when I got the news the next day. Did it affect your ability to enjoy what was going on around you as you guys were, you know, following through and, and, and reaching your goal as a team? Yeah, it was kind of bittersweet. Um, I mean, we're, we're national champions, and that was the best feeling ever. That that was a dream come true. But at the same time, I didn't know what my future was going to be. I didn't know if I was going to have to redshirt my next year and um, wait to play or if I was going to be back on the court for this next year. So, like I said, it was just a huge relief when I got that news. How long after the injury were you able to start – working your way back into working out and building up strength in that leg and starting to get back to feeling your normal self? Well, once I got, I had a little bit of swelling. So once I got that swelling down, it took a couple of days. Um, I started to do some strengthening exercises for my legs, my core. And then a month maybe after that, I started running on an Alter G treadmill that helped to try to keep me in shape. And then it didn't take as long as I thought it was, and now I'm I'm back playing again and just uh, excited to be back on the court. Outstanding. Tell me about the Ultra G treadmill. I Maybe I need to be familiar with this thing, but uh, I've never been on one before. It, it, was that your first time on one? Uh, it was actually like my third time, I think. Um, I've done some rehab on it before, but basically it's a treadmill that you get in and it calibrates your body weight and then you can go to a certain percentage of your body weight. So you can run at 70% of your body weight or 60% of your body weight. And it just kind of takes some of that stress off of your knees, ankles, whatever you've injured. So it's, it's really good um, when you're doing rehab, just to try to stay in shape and keep running. Outstanding. I don't have an injury, but I might just uh, go ahead and get me one of these, you know, to increase my mile time or something like that. We're visiting with uh, Lauren Cox. And once you got past the relief, like you said, of knowing that it wasn't a more severe injury, has there been any mental part to practicing or strength training or anything like that where the injury is still in the back of your mind? Have you gotten over that yet to say, I can just, you know, do whatever I want and I don't have to worry about that? Or is it something that's always in the back of your mind? I think I'm pretty much over it now. When I first started running back on the court and playing again, it was kind of there. It was kind of a mental thing. And I, just, I hadn't ran in so long on a court that I, I felt clumsy, like I felt I, like I was going to trip over. So that was the main mental thing, but um, I'm pretty much over it now, and um, I feel pretty confident about it. We're visiting with Lauren Cox, and of course, going into her senior year, I want to hear about your individual focus. I know you're not an individually motivated player necessarily, but you're going to be the unquestioned leader of this uh, team this next year, the the player that everybody looks to to lead them to a, a championship in your senior season. So what goals do you have for yourself individually as far as where you can take your game to another level and, and just take another step that's going to help Baylor? 
I think just getting in the gym and just getting some shots up, getting my three-point shot more consistent, having a better touch around the rim, trying to use my left hand a little bit more. Like you said, trying to be a better leader, um, just doing whatever I can to help my team. You know that this time next year, as long as everything goes according to your liking, you're going to be playing professional basketball. And every player that transitions professionally has to add a little something to their game, has to do a little something different. We've seen that with the rookies that came in this year to the WNBA and even a couple that uh, you know play around where you live in, in the Dallas area in, in Enrique and, and Megan. They've had to change their games up just a little bit. I would guess that the three-point shot is probably one of the biggest things that's going to help you at the pro level. Is that something in the back of your mind where you, you got to be like, I, I want to be prepared for this down the line. Uh, we need to start putting more of these in from outside. Yeah, I think a lot of what I can work on can help me on both levels. Um, obviously, in the WNBA, you have stronger, more experienced um, vets in the league. So I'm going to have to get stronger after this season, just keep getting stronger, keep working on my shot and keep getting better. You have been to some WNBA games here recently. We saw you in the crowd the other day. They showed you with you and your sister in the uh, in the crowd for the uh, Dallas LA game. What are you watching when you're watching the floor? Are you envisioning yourself out there? Are you just sitting back and taking in a game? What are you doing while you're there? It's a little bit of both. Um, I think going to the, those games, it's just nice sometimes to just be a spectator and just watch and enjoy the game, sit back um, and just, just watch everything. But at the same time, I, I kind of have to look at it as where can I see myself for this team? Where can I see myself for this team? Because I don't, I don't know where I'm going to go. And um, I kind of have to look at that for a couple different teams. Who are some of your favorite players to watch in the WNBA? Who are the the players that you kind of look up to and would hope to mold your game after um, and say five, ten years down the line, I want to be a lot like this person? Yeah, I really like watching uh, Candace Parker and Elena Deladon. They both, they're, they're vets in the league and they're both leaders on their team. Um, they have a lot of different offensive tools and um, I just, I kind of look up to them and uh, kind of watch them and sometimes even try to copy some of their moves. Outstanding. Um, you saw uh, Kalani and Chloe go from winning a national championship, playing till the very end of the season, and then having to turn around that very same week and uh, prepare for the uh, WNBA draft. What do you think you learned from you know, watching that as much as you could, you know, when a couple of your friends go through that? I think that's, that's pretty tough just mentally because you – just come off of this national championship win and then you have to turn around and you may not be the best player on the team, that kind of thing. And you're going into a team with a bunch of vets. I think that's one of the biggest things that people have to go through is they may have been the star on their college team, but when you go to a WNBA team with a bunch of vets, they have more experience than you. Um, they played in a lot more games. So you just, you have to sit back and take that in and learn from them. Outstanding. We're visiting with uh, Lauren Cox, and as you go into your senior year, you've had, uh, this will be your fourth year uh, around the great Kim Mulkey. What is the most surprising thing about Coach Mulkey that people from the outside, maybe even you as, you know, going back to high school, what surprised you most about playing for Coach Mulkey? 
I think just her passion for the game. She is a competitor um, and she hates to lose. And that's kind of how I am. So going into a program where the coach kind of has the same mindset as I do, um, it that was really important to me. And uh, she takes losses personally and um, she just hates to lose. And I just love that about her. When people ask you, how does she drive you individually? How do you how do you respond to that? You know, when maybe a recruits on a visit and they they pull you aside and maybe ask you, "All right, tell me really, what is it? What is it like playing for coach?" It can be tough at times because, like I said, she is a competitor, and if you're not doing your job, then she's going to get on you. But you have to know that that's in your best interest. And the moment she stops getting on you is the moment that she stops caring. So if she's getting on you, she's trying to make you better. And that means she cares and she wants to do what's best for you. Uh, absolutely. It's it's great to have those people in our lives that uh, push us on. And, and certainly we all, you know, have blind spots in our lives where we, you know, or in our games or whatever the case may be that somebody great like that can see it and, and point it out and push us on to the next place. Of the awards that you've won so far, is there, just individually, is there anyone that sticks out to you as this really means the most to me? Um, I think the Defensive Player of the Year really sticks out the most to me just because I take defense so personally. Um, like, if someone scores on me, I, I take it personal, like, okay, you're not going to do that again. I'm going to do whatever I can to keep you from scoring again. That one means the most to me just because I do take it so personally and I do work so hard at it. That's one of my goals going into this season is to defend that award. And like I said, it means a lot to me and means a lot that people can see that. Outstanding. Lauren Cox is visiting with us. And of course, you've had a big summer in a lot of different ways. But one of the things that you've been able to do is be a role model for the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation Children's Congress. What was that experience like as you went to D.C.? That was an incredible event. I was there as a role model, but I was inspired by all the kids that were there because we've come along so far since I was first diagnosed. Um, I was... I was scared when I was first diagnosed. I was kind of embarrassed about it. And these kids are here at this Congress. They, um, the ages were like four to 17 and they're here just trying to get some, um, fundraising for our research foundation to help find a cure. And it was just so inspiring to see them get up on stage, tell their stories. And, um, it was a really incredible event. The special diabetes program, that was mentioned as well. Would you be able to tell us what that's about and why it's important and why JDRF is trying to galvanize support for it? Yeah, so it's funding that has to be renewed every two years. So that's why they have this Children's Congress. So the kids actually go to Congress with some of the role models and they speak to the Congress. They tell them their stories and they try to get this funding renewed because it really helps us a lot to try to better our technology and eventually to help find a cure. You mentioned how far along that we've come since your diagnosis when you were seven, so about 14 years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. What medically has made the biggest difference in your life? What development has made it easier for you not only to live your life uh, with type 1, but then also, uh, of course, to play basketball at a very high level? Yeah, so I have... um, a mini med 670g metronic pump and basically 
it works with my continuous glucose monitor. So it always knows my blood sugar. And if I'm going too high, then my pump will automatically give me insulin. And if I'm going too low, it'll automatically suspend it. So I come, so I can come back up. So just kind of not having to worry about it as much and not just kind of let it do its own thing. And, um, just that really helps me control it. Outstanding. Uh, I was uh, visiting with somebody else who has a child with uh, with type one, and he was saying, you know, one thing people don't realize is that your blood sugar goes up because of adrenaline. And so, for a basketball player who's in these high leverage situations, I can't imagine what that would have been like. You know, to have to manage your adrenaline, not only what you eat, but your adrenaline as well. Without that pump, as well, that must have made things, or could have made things, so complicated for you. Right. That it's extremely difficult just because we, you can't stop adrenaline. So during the game, you can't, there's not really any way to control it. So during the game, my blood sugar does go high because of that. And the pump does whatever it can to help me get it back down. But sometimes it's just not enough and it just stays high. And then after the games, I usually crash and have a low, like, on the stage after the national championship, we were getting the trophy and I was trying to find some juice because I was going low and I just needed to get something in my body to bring it back up. I hear you. When Whitney, your sister, was diagnosed in 2018, what was that like for the family? Was it was it a lot easier for you guys to deal with because you had had it for so long or was that still uh, something that uh, was, a, was a really big change for you guys? I think her transition um was a lot easier just because we did know what it was um and I had had it for so long she had seen me with it helped me helped me with it but at the same time it was it's hard to see because I wouldn't wish anyone to get it because it it sucks but um you got to live with it so that was that was pretty hard I'm just so excited that you and Whitney get to play against each other uh, this year as Lubbock Christian um, is the Division II national champion, and they will be visiting uh, Baylor for an exhibition game. How much are you looking forward to that late October exhibition and and a chance to shine the light on uh, being aware of uh, of type 1 diabetes? That's going to be really fun. Uh, it's, it's kind of our last chance to be on the same court together. Uh, we played with each other my senior year of high school her freshman year of high school so now this is kind of our last chance and um, it's just going to be really fun we have a lot of family coming to the game it's going to be like you said the type one um, awareness game so to have two of us out there that's going to be really exciting it's just outstanding and and have the uh have the two national champions going up against each other it's going to be a lot of fun to watch and your your family i mean just you know i know your parents were athletes and all of the sisters are athletes great athletes in their own right how early do you remember kind of knowing that yeah we're all really pretty good at this athletics thing you know how early did you know that this is one of your identities as a family I think we knew pretty early. We all knew that we were going to be pretty tall because both of my parents are over six foot. Um, so I think we knew pretty early. We when we were younger. We played all different kinds of sports. I played soccer, volleyball, t-ball, everything that I could try. I wanted to do it. And 
that's the same thing with my sisters. We were all just super athletic and super competitive. Um, no matter what we were doing, we were always competitive. So I think it was pretty early that we knew. Whitney settled on basketball. Maddie's a basketball player. Kaylee is a volleyball player and a really dang good one as well, if people aren't aware. As a sophomore, she was the area player of the year for the DFW area hotbed for volleyball. Okay, to break down Kaylee's volleyball game. Why is she such a force? Well, she's an outside hitter, um, so she plays all six rotations all the way around, front row, back row. She's just really smart. She's a leader. She, We kind of have the same competitive edge when we're playing sports. We're both leaders. We're both really competitive, hate to lose. She may not jump the highest. She may not hit the hardest, but she's smart, and she can move really well out there. It was Cheryl Reeve uh, a few uh, weeks ago, and she was talking about how we are losing, and the basketball community is what she's talking about, a lot of girls, a lot of very talented girls that could play basketball, uh, to volleyball. Obviously, you're very tall. You could have been a great middle blocker. I'm sure you were. Why did basketball call to you? Why did you stick with it? I like the contact of the sports. Volleyball you don't hit anybody. Um, and I think that that may turn a lot of girls away from it because they don't want to be hit. They don't like the contact, but, um, I like that part of it. And, um, it's a physical game. And I mean, sometimes you get to let some of your anger out on the game. And, and I also like the competitive of competitiveness of the game. Outstanding. Well, you get to form some kind of new connection in the post. I, I, this coming year, Kalani and you always knew where each other were on the floor at all times. You had almost four assists per game, and probably uh, 3.75 of them were <laughs> to Kalani and everyone. <laughs> I know you guys have some very talented posts that can play alongside you. One of them we kind of featured, we were looking forward to some underclassmen to watch for this next year, and, and Queen Egbo really stood out to us just because of her leading the nation in offensive rebounds per minute, basically. She did it only got about 10 minutes per game, but she was such a force when she was on the floor. Where are you most impressed with her game right now, and, and where have you seen her biggest development? Yeah, her and Alyssa Smith both are just super athletic. They can jump out of the gym. They're super fast, and um, it's just been great to see them develop, like you said. Um, Alyssa has improved on her outside shot. Um, Queen's improved on her shot um, on the end side her touch um so i'm just gonna have to keep working with them um it's gonna be a little different just because they are so athletic and they can do a lot more stuff and uh, it's, it's gonna be fun playing with them do you think it forces you to the five a little bit more uh is that what you're anticipating i think a little bit um but i also think coach Mulkey knows that i am better at the four um and i think that um she's gonna try to keep me at the four as much as she can, but I know that I'm, I am going to have to play a little bit more of the five this year. And I'm okay with that um, because, you know, I, I've, I've played three, four, five uh, most of my career. So I'm, I'm pretty comfortable with that. Coach is quoted as saying that you could play any position on the floor. So uh, you're not thinking about moving to point this next year. We can put that. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave that to Taya, Juicy, and Dee. <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll do that for this year. You have been just 
outstanding and uh, wonderful. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for spending it with us. And uh, I know people are going to learn a lot uh, about not only you, but Baylor Athletics as well. Thank you for your time and, and good luck as you guys get ready for what hopefully is a repeat season. Thank you so much. Lauren Cox, the unassuming superstar. Is there anything better than the unassuming superstar? I just uh, love that. So looking forward to seeing her play this year and what she does in the WNBA the following year. And that's why we have this podcast, because there are so many great stories in women's basketball. And Lauren Cox is just one of the great ones. All right, let's dive into the WNBA Rookie of the Year race. Who should it go to? Well, it's pretty much down to two, isn't it? But Tierra McCowan has really done a great job late in this season of making a push, and I think she's going to factor in. I'll tell you how here in just a moment. But probably it's down to Nafisa Collier and Arike Agunbawale. And, of course, both sides are politicking hard for their player, and that includes the coaches and the GMs of both teams. Of course, we had Minnesota Lynx head coach Cheryl Reeve on just a few episodes ago And we talked about Nafisa and what a valuable part to holding their team together this year that Nafisa's been. And so Nafisa, you know, by virtue of some injuries and, uh, you know, just opportunity presented itself. And I thought she made the most of it. And this is a young player that, you know, she competes every single possession. I know Gino has talked quite a bit about uh, her motor. You know, she's just on go all the time. She's steady. Uh, she plays incredibly hard. She wants to learn. Uh, she, you know, the big, I think the most impressive thing is the the transition from being a true post player. You know, not like Amaya Moore when she came out of Connecticut who played some post. Uh, Maya definitely had more guard game to her than she did have post game. Whereas Peach is the opposite. She's had more. Uh, she has way more post game to her than she does have guard game. And so then, you know, as a pro being thrown into that fire, you know, we threw her right to that small forward spot and said, figure it out. Uh, you know, it's, it's different footwork. There's different types of shots you're going to get. Uh, defense is completely different. Uh, and so then, you know, we kind of got her in a really good space and, and we figured out how to generate some offense for her and, you know, get her double figures every night. And, uh, and then all of a sudden we had injuries and next thing you know, I got a player at the power forward. And so same thing. Okay. Uh, she's kind of going back to her position. Uh, but the, the WNBA is very, very different than, than college in terms of being a six foot one post player. And so trying to find her way in that. And so she just, she does whatever you give her, you know, she accepts it and, and, and works hard to figure it out. And she's the same every single day. Uh, doesn't, you know, that not a whole lot gets her, gets to her, you know, maybe behind closed doors, you know, around her support system. You know, maybe that she has, uh, you know, some level of emotion about what she's doing. But, you know, her steadiness is something that's so admirable, especially, you know, to find that in a rookie. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, it, it's rare. And so it's been really, really important uh, to our success at this point in the season. That's Lynx head coach Cheryl Reeve on Nafisa Collier. So Collier's numbers, she started every game this season. She's averaging 33 minutes per game. She's been durable. She's been on the floor for most of the season. 48% from the floor. She doesn't put it up a lot from three, but she makes about one three per ball game, and she's 35% from outside this season. About 82% at the line, and she's averaging almost three free throw attempts per game. Six and a half rebounds a contest, two and a half assists. She's been incredibly valuable on the defensive end as well, averaging almost two steals and a block for, per contest. And then her points per game, is at uh, nearly 13 as we speak here. Now, how about Enrique Agunbowale? Well, she is playing a much different position 
instead of Nafisa, where she's a three or a four, depending on what time of year it's been. Arike Gunbawale has been playing the point guard role in Dallas and a little bit of two guard when Kayla Davis gets on the floor or when she's out there with Brooke McCarty Williams, which isn't very often. But most of the time this season, she's playing the point guard role. And when you talk to the Dallas Wings, the fact that she's had to take on that new role and that new responsibility is a big reason why they feel like she's the WNBA Rookie of the Year. Let's listen to some comments from head coach Brian Agler as well as GM Greg Bibb. But if you look at our whole season, we haven't shot the ball very well this year. And we we don't have a lot of depth on our roster with people that can put the ball on the floor and create off the dribble, those two things. So with her, what's, what's impressed me about Arike is the fact that she's come into our team we're missing some key people that could have been very good mentors to her, okay? We've put the ball in her hands at the point guard position. She's never played it before. She's played zone defense pretty much in college, so she's had to come in and adjust there. Every night out, the, their, our opponent's best defender and their schemes are built up to stop her, and she's handled it very well, and she's produced. Now, we've had some nights where she hadn't shot it high percentage-wise. Okay, but if you remember the last time we were in New York, she had the poor shooting night. We lost all. We missed the last second shot to beat them there. Two days later, she came back and she responded, and we beat Minnesota here. And she played well, especially down the stretch when she hit some big shots for us. So, if you watch how she's progressed throughout the season, you know, with all those things that went against her and how she's taken upon herself to sort of be the go-to player for us. And now the team is wanting her to do that and be that. I think she's she's been great. And there's not many people in this league that's having a better season, especially a new person coming in here, than she has. And, I, and historically, you know, there's not many rookies that come in here and do and everything's placed on them like this has been for her. So my hat's off to her. And it's not that I take it easy on her. I mean, I'm picking her apart in the games and in practice and in film because I want her to be the best she can be, and I want our team to be the best it can be. There's a lot on her plate with this team, and she was responded greatly. So her play is becoming broader in terms of her vision and her ability to impact the game and the team beyond just putting the ball in the basket. That said, um, she is an elite scorer. What has been asked of her this year in terms of playing a position she doesn't typically pay in terms of having the ball in her hand as much as she does. She's top 10 right now in usage percentage in the league. Forget about rookies, just usage percentage overall. Um, to take on usually the number one defender from the other team because teams are looking at her as our number one option and scheming against her. You throw all that on the fact that she is still leading all rookies in scoring. She's had you know more than a handful of 20-plus games. Her game in terms of being able to manage the flow of the offense is getting better and better. I'm obviously biased, but I don't know how she wouldn't be Rookie of the Year. That's Greg Bibb, who makes all the roster decisions for the Dallas Wings. He's the president uh, slash GM, even though he's not. that's not really in his official title. He makes all those decisions. And then the head coach of the Wings as well, Brian Agler, joining us uh, from earlier on this season. So the numbers for Agun Bawale, she's been counted on to score much, much more. She's played in 30 games this season. She started 25 of them. But she's been a consistent starter here lately, almost 32 minutes a game. Her field goal percentage 
is much less uh, efficient than Nafisa Collier. Of course, she's shooting from different parts of the floor. She shoots a lot more threes than Collier does, where Agunba Wale is stepping back, and she's trying five threes a game. She's hitting those at 34%. Overall, her field goal percentage is 38%. And I think you've seen the fights on Twitter probably that Arike's been much better from the field late in this season, especially in August, and there's no doubting that. She's up at almost 45% in August. Uh, She goes to the line a lot, about five free throw attempts per game. The free throw percentage is almost even. She's at 80%. Collier's at 82%. She's not much of a factor on the rebounding end of things, about two and a half per game. But she's dishing off now three assists per game, and that number continues to go up. She's also averaging a steal per contest as well. 18 points a game this year for Arike Agunbawale, which leads all rookies and leads all rookies by an absolute mile right now. So what can you say about these two players? Well, they're asked to do different things, and I think for each of them that really bolsters the candidacy for both players. For Agunbawale, she's not as on as good of a team. She's on a team that hasn't had Skylar Diggins-Smith like they thought they might for the back half of this season, and that never happened. That never transpired. So she's had to play point guard from the beginning, and she's had to play it all year. And if you've watched the Wings games this season, there is no doubt Agunbawale is twice the player late in this season, and maybe even better than that, than she was earlier on this season. She's not having any more of those two for 23 games. She simply is feeling the game a lot better, knows when to attack, knows when to hang back. She has really improved her game. Now, Collier's candidacy got started off on the right foot because of all the injuries plus all the change in Minnesota this year uh, when Simone Augustus was down, uh, when obviously uh, Maya Moore decided not to play this year, and then Karina Christmas Kelly and all of the other injuries on the Minnesota Lynx team, they had to turn to Collier as an immediate starter, and she played dividend, paid dividends right off the bat, and she fired right into that role, had 27 points right off the bat, and caught everybody's attention. And from that moment, they thought and certainly in Minnesota, they thought, this is the rookie of the year, and there's no doubt about it, and she closed it out with an outstanding first month of the season. Collier has been marvelous, really, from the beginning, and so incredibly consistent. And because she's playing her role and assimilating into a role and part of a team that is playing well at the end of the season and now supports a winning record, I think that really continues to support Nafisa Collier's case. She might have had a little bit of a dip in her production in the middle of the season, but she's right back to where she needs to be for Minnesota to be successful and even into the postseason. And in the MVP race, we always talk about, all right, who's the best player on the best team? We don't often talk about that with the rookie of the year. It seems like we give rookies a little bit more of a pass, right, as far as their teams winning. But I would say that that is a big part of Collier's candidacy is the fact that she's a part of a bunch that is uh, that, that she's helping that team win and she's getting it done. On Agunbawale's side, she's certainly won games by herself this year for Dallas. There is no question about that. She is helping them win, but they're not nearly as good of a team. And she has not been enough of a difference to carry them into the playoffs. If that were the case, I think that would help Agunbawale as well. 
what about Tierra McCowan? Uh, obviously, she's come on late this season and been marvelous for Indiana, and she's had some monster games, including uh, one against the Aces a few weeks ago. What was that, 25-17? and 17? I mean, just jaw-dropping numbers for Tierra. But I think that her, uh, although she was fairly good from the beginning and has rebounded in an excellent rate, a record-setting rate for rookies, I think her candidacy just got off to such a slow start it's not going to help her be – she's going to be in the top three, obviously, but it's not going to help her get into the top two, and she's certainly not going to win it. So to me, it's down to Nafisa Collier and Arike Agunbowale. Who do I think is going to win it? Really, there's not much of a doubt in my mind. I'm 90% sure that Nafisa Collier is going to win it outright this year. I feel that way because – I. There is a strong sense that she has been a solid player from the beginning of this year, and I think a lot of people made up their mind from May and June that she was the rookie of the year, and there's not much you could do about that. And Agunbowale has certainly been strengthened her candidacy in the second part of the year, and I think she's been better in the second part of the year than Collier, but I just don't think... It's going to be enough for a lot of people. I think the vote is going to be close-ish. But here's what's going to hurt Agunbowale, Tierra McCowan. I think there are some people that feel like McCowan has been better this year than Enrique Agunbowale has been. There are going to be some ballots that come out with Nafisa at the top and then McCowan at two and Agunbowale at three, and that is really going to hurt Agunbowale. Agunbowale might even have nearly as many first-place votes as Nafisa Collier, but Collier is going to either be one or two. She's not going to be three, and Agunbowale will be three on a few people's ballots this year. I think that's going to hurt her. So there's little doubt in my mind that Nafisa Collier will win the Rookie of the Year this year unless there's some kind of special exemption like the NBA back in uh, uh, when Kidd and Grant Hill won it, uh, a co-rookie of the year, which I think would be a lot of fun. And that's where I'm going with this. I think if I were awarding this and it was just me, I'd split the baby down the middle. And I'd say, here, it's both of yours, co-rookie of the year. You've done some amazing things this season for each of your teams. And the argument is simply too close to call uh, to me. You've got to tip your cap to some of the things that Arike Agunbowale has done this season. Where she's single-handedly kept her team in games or carried her team or made those big shots, uh, which she made in college, and she's proved that she's not just a college player. She's a pro player as well, and she's gotten better as the season has gone on. You've got to reward her for that. In this, at the same time, you have to reward, reward Nafisa Collier for her ability to assimilate into Cheryl Reeves' system, to be trusted by a veteran head coach in her rookie year to play that three spot. She's also changing positions, by the way, four in college, three at the pro level. And she's done a marvelous job with it. And she's so good on the defensive end that she might even get some votes on the defensive, all-defensive team. I I think she will. There's a chance that uh, she might even be on that team this year, which is uh, really uh, unheard of as uh, as a rookie. You think that that might be a place where secondarily that comes along in their career, and I think that's where you're 
at with Enrique Gunbowale right now is you're seeing a player that is, certainly has it on the offensive end, not always on the defensive end. She's gotten better there, but but not always on the defensive side. Uh, so I think you've got to reward Nafisa in that way. So I, I know that might be a cop-out, but I truly feel, as some have said, that that is a great way to go this year. Co-rookies of the year, they've both been outstanding in their own right. They both, in a vacuum, you put them, drop them into another year in the WNBA, and they might be a, a hands-down type rookie of the year. Not last year with Asia Wilson, of course, but some other years, like uh, like two years ago with Alicia Gray. So they're worthy of it. They're both worthy of it. Split it down the middle. Give it to both of them uh, if that's a possibility, and that is my opinion on it. But who do I think will win? I think it's going to be Nafisa Collier. So that's my opinion. Very rare case. You caught me giving my opinion on something. It's been a fun season, and a big part of the reason why is the fun Rookie of the Year race. If you like this week's podcast, please uh, just leave us a review. You know, so few people do that. We know we have uh, lots of listeners each and every week, but we certainly don't see that many reviews out there. So if you would be so kind, it would mean a lot to us to give us an honest review. It doesn't even have to be five stars. We've got nothing but five stars so far, which we appreciate. Uh, But give us an honest review. Give people some honest feedback. It helps people find the show and get motivated to pick it up. And, of course, for us to keep doing it as well. And if you ever have a comment or question, our email box is open. Podcast at HerHoopStats.com. Big thanks to everybody that joined us for this one, including, of course, Lauren Cox of the Baylor Bears and also the audio with Cheryl Reeve, Greg Bibb, and Brian Aglin. The announcer on the Her Hoop Stats podcast is Susie Solis. Our music by Jared Deck, jareddeckmusic.com, and Aaron Barzilai is the executive producer. I'm John Little, reminding you that on the Her Hoop Stats podcast, we are unlocking better insight about the women's game.